We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We, the Bible tells us, are declared righteous in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us through faith. It's been put on our account. And so now we stand before God, not with our own righteousness, which the Bible says is filthy rags in God's sight, But we stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, His perfect righteousness. How can anyone stand righteous before the Lord? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dan, he shares with you that no one on their own merit can stand before the Lord Almighty as righteous. We have all fallen short of the glory of the Lord because of our sins. However, Pastor Dan explains that those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be able to stand, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus that has been transferred to them. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis chapter 14 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of speculation about the identity of Melchizedek. Uh, really great Bible teachers disagree on the identity of Melchizedek. Uh, the rabbinical writings identify Melchizedek as Shem. Remember one of Noah's three sons, Shem. So in the rabbinical writings, in the Jewish tradition, Melchizedek is, is Shem. Abraham was a descendant of, of Shem, and Shem did live well into Abraham's lifetime. However, I, I don't believe Melchizedek is Shem. Uh, number one, because we know Shem's lineage. And we're going to see in the book of Hebrews that the lineage of Melchizedek is not known. Hebrews 7.3 says that He has no genealogy. Well, we know the genealogy of Shem. It's given to us earlier in the book of of Genesis. Plus, if it's Shem, if Melchizedek is Shem, then Shem was the patriarch of the family. Remember, we talked about the patriarch last week. And if Shem were the patriarch of the family, then it would have been Shem's responsibility to rescue Lot. Not Abraham's responsibility. Uh, so for those two reasons, I, I don't believe that Shem is, or Melchizedek is, is Shem. Although that, that's the oldest theory about Melchizedek. Uh, the interesting, interesting thing to me is Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. 
He's mentioned here in Genesis 14, and then he's mentioned again in the Psalms, in Psalm 110. So you have it, you have Melchizedek introduced here for the first time in Genesis 14, then like a thousand years goes by, and he's mentioned again in one verse in Psalm 110. And that's it for the Old Testament. There's actually more about Melchizedek in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. But as far as the Old Testament goes, there's just these two passages that even mention him, and, and yet many ancient Jewish writings refer to Melchizedek. Uh, the Hasmoneans, you guys know the Hasmoneans, right? Uh, they were a group that uh, rose to power very briefly in the second century, and Israel, uh, they, be, they, uh, they became a king, a Hasmonean king, who also served as high priest, and he justified it by saying he was of the order of Melchizedek. How could he be king and priest? Well, he said, well, he's, he's from the lineage of Melchizedek. Uh, the Sadducees. Sadducees were priests, but they also were involved in politics. They justified it by referring to Melchizedek. Uh, so the Sadducees referred to him in their writings. The Essenes wrote about Melchizedek and the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's actually a scroll called the Melchizedek Scroll that among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, some of the Jewish high priests, some of the Jewish high priests, including Caiaphas and Annas, who were the two high priests who oversaw the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. We read about them in the Gospels, Caiaphas and Annas. Uh, some of the high priests, including Caiaphas and Annas, were buried near the location where Melchizedek met with Abraham in the, in the Valley of Shaveh that we talked about last week. They wanted to be buried there, where Melchizedek appeared to Abraham. Even though there's only two passages that talk about this guy. So he's a very, uh, very intriguing figure. He, he, he gets a lot of response from people, uh, even though he's only mentioned in two places in the Bible. Uh, a lot of great Bible teachers believe Melchizedek was a Christophany. And some of you are thinking, a what? <laughs> a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, before his incarnation, before his birth in, in Bethlehem. Uh, and, and many, as I said, many Bible teachers uh, that you're probably familiar with believe that this is a Christophany, this is the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in a conversation with the religious leaders, and he said to the religious leaders, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the question is, when did Abraham see Jesus Christ? Well, those that believe Melchizedek was Jesus Christ say Abraham saw him here in Genesis 14. So some believe he was Jesus. Some don't. Now, whether, whether Melchizedek was Jesus Christ or not, we can agree that Melchizedek was a picture or a type of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And there's much that we can learn from, from Melchizedek, much that we can learn and understand about Jesus Christ and his ministry from studying and looking at Melchizedek. And that's why we're, we're taking a break, really, from our you know, going just straight through the book of Genesis to spend a morning on Melchizedek. So what do we learn about Jesus from the description of Melchizedek here in Genesis 14? Well, to start with, the name Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. 
the king of righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the righteous one. He's the righteous king. Uh, We just sang about the righteousness that we have because of Jesus Christ. We, the Bible tells us, are declared righteous in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us through faith. It's been put on our account. And so now we stand before God, not with our own righteousness, which the Bible says is filthy rags in God's sight, but we stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness. So if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all of your sin. He doesn't see all of your mess. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says in Colossians, we stand before God holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. When we're not holy, we're not blameless, and we're not above reproach. But we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross paid for our sins. All of our sins are removed. They're erased. And we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Melchizedek reminds us of the righteousness that's found in Christ. Melchizedek is also called the king of Salem here in Genesis 14. King of Salem. Salem means peace. So he's the king of peace. Elsewhere, Jesus is called the prince of peace, right? Prince of Peace. The Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. He's made peace between us and God. The Bible says we were at enmity with God. We were separated from God. We were enemies of God by our wicked works and our, even in our, our thought life. Separated, enemies. But Jesus Christ made peace between us and God through the blood of his cross. Not only does the cross make peace with God, we also receive peace from God through Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Philippians 4.7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so Melchizedek points to the righteousness and peace found in Jesus Christ. In Psalm 85 verse 10, it says, righteousness and peace have kissed. I like that description. Righteousness and peace have kissed. When when did righteousness and peace come together and kiss? In Jesus Christ. Specifically in the cross of Christ. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Notice in verse 18 also that Melchizedek brought bread and wine to Abraham and his men. You know, they've made this, they've come, returning from battle, they've made this long journey, they're, they're weary. And so Melchizedek brings re- refreshment to them. He brings bread and wine. In the Psalms in Psalm 104, we're told that wine makes the heart glad, or, or, uh, wine makes the heart glad and bread strengthens the heart. Wine brings joy, bread brings strength. Jesus Christ brings joy. We have the joy of the Lord and he strengthens us. He strengthens us in our inner person. Haven't you been grateful for the strength that the Lord has provided for you over the last six months or so? Just the strength of the Lord in the inner person. 
we're refreshed by him. We're refreshed by his presence. And, and of course, bread and wine immediately reminds us of the Last Supper and the new covenant that Jesus Christ established at that Last Supper with his disciples and the bread representing his broken body that is broken for us on the cross for our sins and the wine representing his shed blood for the remission of sins and the new covenant in his blood. Again, Melchizedek is, is at the very least, he's a picture or a type of Christ. Some believe he is Christ, but he's at the very least a picture, a type of Christ that points us to Jesus Christ. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m., I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. And Melchizedek, if you look again at the passage, he's also in verse 18 referred to as the priest of God Most High. Now this is really probably the most uh, important part of this, that he is a priest, the priest of the God Most High. Now all of the other references to Melchizedek in the Bible, the other one, the one other one that's in the Old Testament and the other eight that are in the New Testament, uh, they all have to do with his priesthood. So this is the important part to Melchizedek for us. That he's the priest. So let's, let's look at some of these other passages together. Let's turn over to Psalm 110. Again, this is the only other reference to Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. And that, that just means that it's a psalm describing the Messiah who is to come. Remember, the, the Old Testament is all looking ahead to this Messiah, the Savior who's going to come into the world Uh, If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that was the first reference to the Savior that was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. So since Genesis 3, 15, we've been looking for this Redeemer, the Savior to come, the Messiah. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm looking forward to the Messiah. Uh, Psalm 110 is also the most often quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted in the Gospels, it's quoted in the book of Acts, it's quoted in the epistles. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And what is significant about Psalm 110 uh, for our study is it presents Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as both a holy king and a royal high priest. Both of them, both offices here in one person. Uh, In verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 110, uh, his kingship, the Messiah's kingship is described. Uh, It says, the Lord said to my Lord, and notice the first Lord there is in all capital letters. It's Yahweh. Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
So Yahweh, the Lord, says to the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand. Now, the right hand is the position of honor. It's the position of authority. And so right here in this first verse, we see that Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, gives honor and authority to the Messiah. In the Gospels, we see this. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, All things have been delivered to me by the Father. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. He's honored the Son. He's given authority to the Son. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore God also highly exalted Jesus and, and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, Father. The Father, God, Jehovah, exalted the Son, the Messiah. The Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. The Lord says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And this, this was a common picture used in the ancient world to depict absolute victory over your enemies. You can find images from the ancient Near East of, of, of kings, especially the Assyrian kings, uh, depicted this a lot in their artwork, where the king is standing with his foot on a conquered king who's bowing down before him. It, it speaks of absolute victory. And here he's talking about the Messiah here. This, this, is, this anticipates Christ's second coming as a conquering king when he will rule over all the kingdoms on the earth and he will have absolute authority on the earth. This is looking ahead to the time when his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer will finally be fulfilled. Verse 2, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Volunteer to serve him. And the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now look at verse 4. In verse 4, the psalmist now shifts from talking about the Messiah's reign as king, as absolute uh, victor. Uh, to his role as high priest. In verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this Messiah, he's a king. He's a conquering king. He's a victorious king. All kingdoms, all nations will be made his footstool one day. But this king, this Messiah king, he's also a priest. How is he a priest? He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And why is that important? Well, under the law, the law of Moses, the priests are of the tribe of Levi. Remember, we talked about that last week. They have to be descendants of, of Aaron. The Messiah will be a descendant of David because the promise was made to David that one of his descendants would sit upon the throne forever. So the Messiah will come from David, from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. So how can he be a priest since he's not from the tribe of Levi? He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's not a Levitical priest. This is a different lineage now that's introduced here. So he's king and priest But he's not a Levitical priest. He's a priest from a different line. He's from the order of Melchizedek. This is explained further for us in the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn over to Hebrews for me. Hebrews chapter 4. 
You guys doing okay with it? Don't you love this stuff? So wonderful. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're not going to go through all of the references in, in the book of Hebrews. There's eight of them total in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is, is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And the author of the book of Hebrews just goes through all the things that Jesus is better than. He's better than Moses, and he's better than Aaron, he's better than Abraham, like he's greater. Jesus is better. Uh, in this case, Jesus is, is a better high priest. He's a better high priest than priesthood of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood. It's written to Hebrews, it's written to Jewish people who are, who are in, under this Levitical system, and they've got the high priest, and they've got the Levitical priesthood. And Jesus is, is, is our great high priest. And what he's talking about here in Hebrews is he's a better high priest. He's a better high priest than any priest that descends from Aaron. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the, the purpose of a priest, the purpose of a priest in, in, in the Bible was to act as a go-between, to act as a go-between or a mediator between man and God. Why? Because God is holy. God is a holy God. And we are sinful, every one of us. So we we can't just come to God on our own because he's holy, we're sinful. The Bible says our sin separates us from God. And and so we, we need a mediator. And so a person can't just come to God on their own because of our sin, right? We all sin, we all fall short. Uh, God is holy, He's pure, He's righteous. We, we, can't just, we can't just come into God's presence on our own. We, we need a go-between. We need someone to stand between us and God and act as a mediator between, uh, between the, the two of us. The priest, the priest under the, the law, the priest mediates between man and God. And the way that the priest mediated between man as God and God is the priest offered sacrifices, substitutionary sacrifices to atone for man's sin and to make it possible for sinful man to come into the presence of a holy, righteous God. The priest makes blood sacrifices to give man uh, access to God. And under the law, and this is what he's kind of referring to here in Hebrews, uh, under the law, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt in the temple. He entered the Holy of Holies one day a year on the day of atonement to, to atone for the sins of, of the people. And so one day a year, the day of atonement, the high priest who descended from Aaron, part of this Levitical priesthood, he would go with the blood of a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies to atone. He'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat where we find mercy from God and sprinkle the blood, apply the blood to the mercy seat to atone for the sins of all the people of the nation. And so now your sins are atoned for. 
been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Genesis. Although some might view Genesis simply as a historical account of genealogies, the undercurrent throughout this book entails a broader understanding of God's nature toward His people. You're introduced to God's care and concern for His creation, how sin stained what God had created and what God intended to do to atone for the sin that overshadowed the world altogether. God's plan included a Savior that would envelop His creation in love and sacrifice that might seem incomprehensible to the average person, but God's ways are higher than anything that we as humans can understand. Yet, He chose to come to our level anyway. That's a Creator God who's invested for the long haul, If anything about today's message has struck a chord with you, we'd like to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. If you're not connected yet with the local church, we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have more to share from the book of Genesis next time, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack. Reach true.